All right. Hello, MNBC family. We are going to be doing our midweek discussion, but today it's a little different. Just me, uh, Pastor Scott, and Pastor Spencer. I am number two, I believe. Can we, were you ready to go? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> we're just messing around with some. <laughs> <laughs> So clearly, we're we're down one today. Uh, Pastor Tim is uh, is busy uh, helping with a funeral, uh, which is uh, one of the many duties that he has the pleasure of performing as the senior pastor of our church. And so today, it's just me and Spencer, and it actually is a good thing that it's just me and you, Spencer, because you know one of the things that we had a brief moment to talk about yesterday after the sermon. You know, Tim was very helpful yesterday in that he he clearly and concisely packaged. Uh, what he had to say in five points, and he went through those five points. And But he also revealed something about himself, is that he tends to learn and grow the best when he is criticized, right? Yeah. When, when yeah. people point out things that are bad that he's done, that's what really motivates him yeah, that, to be better. That right? was that was really helpful um, for me, and I hope to put that into practice. Exactly. Um, just to really uh, see... You know, you're you're supposed to to know someone's love language, <laughs> yeah. right? That's that's one of the things, and apparently, uh, criticism is one of the love languages. And <laughs> yeah. he's a glutton for punishment. Apparently, he is. so <laughs> what I thought would be helpful for us to do today was to create a list of five things that he could have done yesterday to improve his sermon. <laughs> I'll let you start with number one. He yeah. he needs to shave that scruffy beard. Okay, you think so? You think so, beard man? At, yes, absolutely. Is my beard scruffy? Tell me the no, truth. No, it's not scruffy. See, I mean, he no. needs to grow it out a little bit, get some beard oil, comb it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I know what to get him for Christmas now. Exactly. Beard oil. A gallon of beard oil. I've never never even... Well, you don't have a beard. Where do you buy beard oil? At? Amazon. It's everywhere. Right. Everybody has their own brand now. Everyone does? Pretty much. Like, there's the Walmart Equate. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that, brand. but like celebrities have their own brand oh, wow. you know sometimes tom brady or i he's a celebrity <sighs> <laughs> you know, we're not gonna talk about sports again. all right so. what's number two on your list <laughs> well i don't you know that's really i think one of the things that would be really helpful uh, for tim is to start wearing cowboy boots when he preaches it would make it a lot more real yeah i think so um if you, you wear cowboy boots it it, it really reaches people because <laughs> um you know, you're you're standing a little taller. You feel a little bit more confident when you're just wearing shoes and you're walking around. That's that's one thing. But whenever it, people can hear the thud of that boot coming down, and, exactly. and they can see the gator skin that you're wearing right there. I mean, I mean, and they really are enable you to protect yourself. I mean, if somebody comes into the church mm-hmm. and you need to give them a good old roundhouse kick, like Walker <laughs> Texas Ranger, you can do it. You know, but you might scuff them up, but you'll be protected. <laughs> But in all seriousness, uh, I mean, that was just a little bit of fun. But in all seriousness, kinda. Tim did. Uh, yeah, just kind of. <laughs> well, don't worry. We'll finish the list in private with Tim. Uh, but uh, the the five things that he uh, really helped us uh, walk through the passage that we were looking at, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, uh, were very helpful. Um, and so what we thought would be good today, just to recap that, is to basically go through each one of those and talk a little bit more uh explore a little more about what uh, what might be there. And so I think it would be helpful to just read the passage real quick, just to familiarize ourselves with it. And so Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, 
It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So the first thing we see on our list, Spencer, is in verse 25, that we no longer lie, but we speak the truth. This is to be characteristic of the redeemed community of the Lord, those who have been saved by God's grace. We no longer lie, but we speak the truth, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I think this is, um, and Tim did a great point of uh, bringing out that this is, Paul is just, um, again, pulling from the Old Testament. This is the uh, ninth commandment uh, where God gave the, the commandment, you will not bear false witness against your neighbor. The opposite of that, of course, is this, is is also true, which is that we are to promote truthfulness um, in all that we do. So it's not simply don't lie, but it's also promote truth, promote what is uh, true and and good and uh, um, and charitable towards our neighbor. We're also supposed to give our neighbors the benefit of the doubt, um, not un- unless we have facts, clear facts to the contrary. And so God gave that law right after he had redeemed his people in the Old Testament out of Egypt. And similarly now, because we have been redeemed not out of Egypt, but out of slavery to sin um, and and the devil, we've been redeemed now. So therefore, we're to live differently, and that's to be truth speakers, to speak honestly and to speak what is good and true um, about our neighbors, our church members, our family, um, etc. Yeah, he had several different ways of applying this. You know, because we think of lies, we tend to think of like only one category of lying where we're asked the question and we just flat out tell a falsehood. But he, you know, he was talking about that there are actually many different ways that we lie in our everyday lives. And so he gave examples about like if you're trying to sell something that is actually broken and you know it's broken, right? but you don't reveal that to somebody. Yep. Or, uh, you know, like if, if, if you know about a problem with your car that you're trying to sell or that you're trying to trade in to get some kind of credit back, but you're not completely forthcoming right. about the history of right. that car right. or what you know, well, that's, that's lying. Yeah. But also the reverse side he gave an example was that if you're trying to buy something and you know that this is an underpriced thing and you buy it for the low price, that that also is a kind of lying to right. somebody. Right. So, and, and also that goes back to the to the root even beyond that of the external things, but of even having the desire to cheat and to uh, mm-hmm. uh, lie and those those to be deceptive. Um, even that desire itself from which all these other external things come from is sin as well. Yeah. It's amazing to me. We won't belabor this point because we have four more to do, but it, it amazes me that lying is something that comes so naturally to people. It's so mm-hmm. natural that... It really is one of the first, I mean, if I could say this, one of the first manifestations of a sinful heart mm-hmm. in children mm-hmm. is that the desire to deceive so that they might get what they want or not get in trouble. 
um, it's just our desire to come out on top. Yeah, is uh, apparent. Well, I mean, you see that in the, the garden. Days. You see that in the garden, right? Did God really say that? Mm-hmm. And again, He's not overtly lying plainly, yeah. but He's insinuating. Yes, the, sa- the serpent was, and so like that's He's the father of lies. Yeah, He is. The second one from verse twenty six and twenty seven is that we don't let anger rule and give way to sin. And so one of the interesting things he talked about, Spencer, was um, like almost always when you're talking about anger within a conversation, person who is maybe angry brings up, but it's a righteous anger. What is this concept of righteous anger that he was referencing? Yeah, I think what he said was helpful in the sense in which it's <clears throat> it's uh, primarily, I mean, obviously we see that in Jesus. Jesus has righteous anger. God, we're told, is angry. And we can trust that in God, that is a truly righteous anger. Um, in us, however, um, yeah, we have to be very, very, very suspicious about our own hearts. I think one of the things you could, I would say to people is, is it possible, you know, um, is it normally possible, is it possible for us to be um, angry righteously? I would probably, instead of saying yes, but instead of that, I would say no, but mm-hmm. because most of the time yeah. it's not righteous anger. There are exceptions to the rule and we don't want to say in which those are not. One of the things I think is helpful is again, like you and the human heart is so hard to our own hearts are hard to evaluate, but Jesus was angry about what he was angry about. Like in the, the temple, right? Flipping over the tables. The reason he was angry is because of what he loved so much. He loved God, and God's name was being defamed. And he loved sinners, and sinners were being hindered from coming to that place, that temple, and expressing their sincere devotion to God because there was barriers now with money or the the religious leaders and all those things were getting in the way. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus, because he purely 100% loved God as he should, his Father, and loved sinners like us, that's why he was angry with the, the, the situation he saw in the temple. Most of the time for us, it's not because we are 100% loving God and 100% loving our neighbor. It's because we don't like that other person or we feel like our name is being slandered or hindered or, or whatever. We, we insert selfish, impure motives into that equation. And so I think it was a helpful thing to to remind ourselves that it is it is a possibility, and there are places to be righteously angry, but most of the time that's not the case. Yeah, and he even referenced how, um, oh shoot, I forgot what the, we call it now, but like just rage kind of yeah, culture yeah, that yeah. that is so pervasive in our culture that I, it, what you said is completely right that we should generally probably just be suspicious of our anger all the time. Yeah. You know, and ask ourselves the same question that God asked Jonah. Yeah. Do are you right to be angry for the right. plan? You know, kind of thing. It's like, should I be angry about this really? Mm-hmm. You know, and um Or you think about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't live a life of continual anger. Yeah. He had outbursts. I should, I mean I don't even want to use the word outburst. There were there were instances in which he did show righteous anger, mm-hmm. the temple being one of them. One of them also, he was kind of angry or frustrated with his disciples when they were hindering the little children from coming to him. Mm-hmm. He was angry then, um at or, or expressed some um, indignation at that. But generally speaking, that was not a characteristic that was just continually 
burning in his in his heart mm-hmm. that was that was not what was going on um his general disposition was one of compassion truthfulness mm-hmm. honesty and love yeah and because that was his general disposition whenever something was so obviously opposed to those things then he did become righteously angry yeah i think it reveals that we actually in our hearts our sinful hearts we want to be angry yeah there's things that are enjoyable about being angry and thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought to. And one of the interesting things about this point is that when we, you know, that Tim brought out is that when we harbor anger, is that one of the things that verse 27 says, and give no opportunity to the devil, is that when you harbor anger, you're giving an opportunity to Satan to lead you astray. And it pointed out that we often think that we are more capable of resisting Satan and temptations that he brings than what we actually are. And so just asking the question of like, no, I'm, I'm righteously angry. And so I asked the question, like, okay, so turn your anger off right now. Mm-hmm. You actually think you're able to mm-hmm. control your anger, or mm-hmm. is your anger controlling you? Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a really helpful mm-hmm. point of just, you're not actually as in control as you think mm-hmm. you are. Um, our anger tends to get the better of us many times. Verse 28, we see the third item in our list, which is do not steal, but work hard to give. So Paul, in presenting this, uh, says, don't do this, instead do this. And he even gives a motivation for why this should be done. That He says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor. And then he says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I thought that was a really helpful point of... You don't just do it to work hard for yourself and to gain something for yourself. That actually some of the motivation behind this is so that you're able to be generous mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. I think this reminds me of the the class we did on vocation, uh, God at Work, because in our in all of our vocations, all of our callings, whether that be um, our callings in the family, our callings in our workplace, our callings in the church, or our callings in society or the state or our community— um, each of those callings that we have are to be of service to our neighbor and to be expressions of love to neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the two greatest commandments, right? Love God and love your neighbor. Um, uh, we're not told <laughs> uh, that to love ourselves in that sense. The primary thing we're to do is to look outside of ourselves to God and to our neighbor. Similarly here, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Um, in your vocations, in your calling as a worker, um, remember that your call to as an employee or whatever that is 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 first and foremost to to serve other people. Now, one of the things you should be wanting to do as well is to provide for those right nearest you, your neighbors right at home, your children, your wife, your family, um, and then as those circles keep going out, um, keep providing and serving those people as well. So, in our vocations, our, if our primary goal in work is always selfish, we've actually missed the point of work. It's always from the very beginning been about serving uh, our neighbor and also bringing glory to our Father in in heaven. Mm -hmm. So sharing for those who have need, that's a really helpful reminder. Yeah, and it it really speaks a lot to those, to all of us that are in a very materialistic, uh, wealth-driven community in the United States where it's, that is emphasized to people from day one of right. going to school, generally, right. of right. like, you've got to work hard to get a good job so that you can make a lot of money 
right. and live the comfortable, enjoyable life that everybody wants to live. Right, right. And that seems to be exactly the opposite to what Scripture says. Right. When Jesus teaches that, you know, you can't love both God and money, mm-hmm. and here you have the motivation for encouraging someone who used to live a life of theft uh, and and that is driven out of only like a, a hard, self-motivated heart. Mm-hmm. Now you you pursue work, not not for yourself. Right. Now, it's not a correction of... Well, you, you, we're not supposed to amass things for ourselves through thievery, but through hard work. Mm. That's not even what he's saying. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, like you, you work hard and you gain so that you might share it with others. Right, right. The, the emphasis is completely taken off right. of yourself. And, the, and it's a helpful reminder, too, is so on the one hand, while, while he's not um, uh, condo- encouraging as Christians that we're to be working just to accumulate in a, in a, in a free market system. He's also not advocating um, communism, which is the idea that you force everybody to share everything because that's also not love. Sure. Um, it cuts all across these political uh, true love and following the commandments of Jesus actually um, cuts across all of these political dimensions in that sense in which it's about the heart and the motivations and, and doing it to share um because of what God's done, not mm-hmm. because you're forced to by the state, and also not because um, you just want to go, 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 and get all that you can in this life and build bigger barns sure. to store everything up. So it's it's uh, it it really cuts all across uh, humanity. I think. Yeah, in the book of Acts, there's a just to kind of get at what you're saying. I think some of it is that there's a there's a portion. I think it's Acts chapter four mm-hmm. and five. Yeah, yeah, where you have. Two sto- two instances of people that that Good. give yep. large sums mm-hmm. to the church to mm-hmm. distribute. One of them is Barnabas. Yeah, right. He sells his field. Yeah, and he just gives it to the apostles for them to distribute to all those who have yep. need. But then in the very, it actually starts chapter five, I think, where you have Ananias and Sapphira. Yep, who do the same. They sell their field, but they keep back a portion for themselves. Right, and they only give part of it, but they present it as if. They've given all of it. Right. And Peter's words to them, uh, I don't know exactly, mm-hmm. but he says to them, like, while it was yours, was it not yours to enjoy? Right. It's almost as if Peter's telling them, it would have been better for you to not even sell it. Right. And to just keep it and right. enjoy it. Right. You know, it's like you weren't doing something wrong mm-hmm. in that, mm-hmm. but you're trying to present yourself as being generous when actually you're not. Right. You know, and uh, yeah, that, that story just came to mind. That's a good point. All right, point number four is that we talk to build up and encourage. This is verse 29 and 30, and it's just the reminder that uh, our words uh, have a big impact on what happens and the general mood and feel. They can have a big impact on people's lives and on uh, the direction that they go and decisions they make. Um, yeah, so I mean, how would you elaborate on this? Yeah, I think it builds off a similar thing. You see a similar message here. Um, throughout um, all of these commands, which are always focused on the good of others and the glory of God. So um, similarly here, with whatever comes out of our mouths, which we know, of course, ultimately then proceeds from our hearts inside us, um, but what flows out of us needs to always be that which is building up, which is seeking what is best, what is good, what is helpful, seeking the um, interest of our neighbor, of others, uh, pursuing their welfare is to be the chief goal and desire of our hearts. 
That's the subst- that's the substance of the second half of the Ten Commandments, of Commandments five through uh, ten, is to seek the welfare of your neighbor. And similarly here, so with whatever we say, whatever we do, as fits the occasion, um, build other people up. So uh, Tim was, of course, uh, bringing this out. Um, um, this is where we got the joke about a. Uh, uh, how he does well with criticism, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, um, and and of course there is a sense in which, in the in, as as fits the occasion, appropriate. Um, I'm going to use the word critique. I don't know a better word, but of of honest evaluation um, in the proper situation is helpful mm-hmm. and does build up. But yeah. you can do the you can say the same things really to somebody, um, and and have radically different motivations. On the one hand, you can be doing it to build somebody up. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, somebody could say the exact same thing, but they're intending to destroy the other person and tear them down. Yeah. And so I think as fits the occasion, and honestly, one of the things that I think probably people don't like, but the reality is, is this is where it just calls for practical wisdom. And we there's no easy answer sometimes to know what the occasion is. You can't necessarily put that into words even. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to live life um, and try to apply the, the the commandments and the basic general principles to understand when those occasions are. Um, there are some that are going to be really obvious, some occasions that are going to be a little bit more vague, and we should always um, always want to err on the side of grace, I think, uh, as a general rule. Um, so I think, yeah, always using whatever we say, whatever we do to um, encourage our family, our children, our wife, our fellow church members um, and build them up um, is to be our goal at the very least. We're going to fail, sure. but um, that's to, that should be our driving yeah. desire. I think what you pointed out there about like that this really is a matter of wisdom yeah. and, and prudence that is needed in order to fulfill this well. Because I, I, I do think, and you know, Tim was very open and honest about this, that the type of person he generally tends to be is the one he where he is personally motivated by being things pointed out that he could have done better, right? Yeah. And he used sports as an example of that. That growing up, that was helpful for him, more helpful than just you know a pat on the back and like great job. Yeah. Um. And and I think that's that everybody has that. Uh. But I think that sometimes what that can lead to. I'm not saying that Tim is this way by the me by the way, but I think many times what you see in people is that if they they will say something that is what this text would call corrupting talk, it it tears down, it corrupts. It causes division. People might say something or a series of things that that leads to that corruption, but their response back was, well, but my motivation, like Mm -hmm. what I wanted to try to do, like I wasn't meaning that in a corrupting way or a discouraging way. I was trying to encourage them. It's not my fault that they Mm -hmm. they took it the wrong way. Well, I think what this text is saying is that actually it kind of is your fault. Mm -hmm. Your, Your goal, and like you said, wisdom, applying that, is that what's at state? What's going on here is not just what your motivation is, mm-hmm. but trying to consider the effect yeah. that it's going to yeah. have, mm-hmm. and that's we don't always know the effect it's going to have. But I mean, you can consider things like the person you're talking to, uh, what's what's their general temperament. Mm-hmm. You can consider the fact. This is a big one that gets me: is are you complaining to someone that has no ability to change what your mm-hmm. problem is? Yeah. Good point. Uh, if you are, then it's probably just gossip mm. um, and corrupting talk. Mm. But if you actually have a problem that could be changed, the person you need to talk to is the person that could do something about mm. it. 
And that's generally the only time it's appropriate to, to yeah. share something like that. Yeah. I just think that people will sometimes hide behind their motivations. Yeah. Like I was trying to be encouraging. Right. And like you said, we're not going to do this perfectly. Um, but, uh, but we have to be careful. I think too, one of the things too, as a good reminder is you, you don't, you also have the opportunity in many situations to just say nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're told in the, in the, you know, in the wisdom literature too, about the wisdom of refraining mm-hmm. because you can't, you can't go and pull back those words that are coming out of your mouth. Yeah. And so sometimes it, it might be better just to say nothing. Yeah. Um, just because until you're sure that you feel it's the right time or whatever, because, um, and maybe that would be a helpful thing to, at least some of us, some people don't struggle with that so much, but mm-hmm. others of us can just, um, we wish we could have just said nothing at that yeah. time. <laughs> and you're right. That's exactly what uh, Proverbs uh, on many occasions suggests. And so I would just say anybody who's at part of our church listening to this, wondering, well, is that me? You know, do I do that? Go read Proverbs. Right. You know, take a month, read a chapter a day. You'll get through it in a month. Yep. And you're right. Much of what a place like Proverbs and the other wisdom literature has to say is that it would have been better to say nothing. Yeah. Um, or to go about it in a different way. Okay. The last one that we have to talk about is we are defined by kindness, tender heart, and forgiveness. And the motivation behind all of that that uh, Tim referenced is exactly what the passage says in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and then you have the motivation, as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think one of the things that always strikes you about whenever you read Paul is um, just how often he keeps bringing up the gospel. Um, so, (laughs) well, how am I saved? Well, you remember Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So that's, that's how we're saved because of what he did. So then how am I supposed to live my life? Well, afterwards, well, remember Christ died for us and God forgave us. It's like that, that person, God in human flesh transforms every aspect of, of our life in, in different ways. Um, our salvation, then our sancti- our justification, our sanctification, our growth, and how we're supposed to treat other people. Um, it's amazing just how often Paul keeps going back. That's his instinct. Paul's instinct is to always, if to any question you would ask, eventually he's going to get back to Calvary somehow, because that is the that is the thing that's going to control and. Um, and pool and affect all of, of how we're supposed to live. I mean, he's going to keep uh, doing that in the next two verses that Tim's going to get to uh, next week, I'm assuming, is that, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So at the very end, Paul is not simply giving, these are commands that we are to follow, but they're commands within a context, mm-hmm. and they're commands within the context of of grace, of salvation, of of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. And that's why eventually whenever he gets down here, well, ultimately the reason why we're supposed to talk truthfully is because that's what Jesus did to us. And and that's how we're saved is because he speaks honestly. We're supposed to give to those who share because that's exactly just as God treated us. He shared his riches with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to uh, be t- kind and tenderhearted toward each other because well, that's how we were treated by God and Jesus Christ. So continually going back, and that's the rhythm of our life, is to be 
based off of the rhythm of the cross of Calvary and of the new resurrection life that we have in him to change and to be sanctified and one day glorified. Yeah. I mean, the the motivation and the purpose, that's why we, you know, I think Tim has mentioned a number of times in this series, the first three full chapters of Ephesians, just really digging into the gospel, the yeah. nature of it, how it works, is, and I think sometimes, I mean, even I, like, get kind of uh, in sinfully jaded towards that, and like, listening to that over and over again, but it's a reminder, because when it comes down to it, if we want to get too fast or too focused on the do, what we are now to do in response to that, without being constantly reminded of the why mm-hmm. behind it, we we misplace the motivation yep. of why it is. Because if all I focus on is Ephesians 4 through 6, I'm not going to have adequate motivation to do it. Or mm-hmm. I say adequate motivation yeah. or adequate purpose behind it or reminder. Because if I just read this, Without the last statement, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Okay, I'll do that as long as people do that to me, or as long as they deserve it. Mm -hmm. But then that last reminder of the reason that you're supposed to do that is actually because of everything I just got done telling you. It's not because of the way others have treated you. It's not even because of what other people deserve. Mm -hmm. It is because that is what God has given you, and you didn't deserve it. That's exactly right. So there's also... A sense in which Paul is also, in a holy sense, reminding us also of our need for humility in all of these things. Mm-hmm. Remember, God and Christ forgave you, and you needed it, like what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so therefore, don't think it's too too. Uh, you're not too high and mighty to therefore need to speak honestly to your brother or to share with those in need. Mm-hmm. You're not too high and mighty anymore. Because remember, you needed. It's it's a great illustration of. Remember, Jesus gives that parable where the one guy is forgiven of 10,000 talents and then he goes out and mm-hmm. grabs his friend who owes him, what, 100 or something very small. Yep. And, um, well, he was forgiven such a great debt, but now he refuses to forgive the smaller debts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's how we're supposed, we're supposed to live the opposite way of that. We've been forgiven of such a great debt. And so Jesus is saying, now in all these other smaller debts mm-hmm. towards all these other people, yeah. now you go behave uh, in a way that shows you've been forgiven of the of the infinitely great debt you could never pay. Yeah, one of the things that I'm regularly encouraged about, about because of our church or by our church, the people in it is a desire to be evangelistic, a desire to reach people in the community. And I think one of the things that is that is great about this passage that maybe isn't obvious on the front end is the reality that I think Tim even said this in his sermon is that like the world does not live this way. Right. They don't live this way. The world is self-seeking. The, the world is filled with people who lie, who steal, who cheat, who get ahead by spreading rumors and corrupting talk instead of encouraging one another. They don't forgive each other. They're not kind. And so a church that has been redeemed by the gospel and is now living in this way as a response to that, that this has a huge evangelistic impact on the community mm-hmm. that that church is in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, think about like if for a person to come from the outside, if they were to come into our church, hear about something really mean and nasty that happened, but then hear that that person that it happened to was willing to forgive yeah. and to reconcile with that person. And that person re- in humility recognized that what they did was wrong, Right. you know, and they showed grace to one another. That does not happen in the world. Right. Right. It doesn't happen. 
And if we want it to happen in our church, we're going to need God's grace to do yes. that, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. and his spirit to help us with that. So, but uh, anything else? No, no, I think it was good. Yeah. Good talk. Well, uh, thank you for listening in, church family. I pray that it was uh, beneficial and encouraging to you. And uh, just remember that Pastor Tim's love language is criticism. And so <laughs> if you can think of something critical to email him this week, uh, I'm sure that he would uh, uh, be able to grow because of that. Oh, no, boy. Just kidding. We, I we can love think our of pastor. somebody that's probably going to, I can think of some people in our church who might actually take that up. Well, <laughs> I hope In a they fun don't. and playful way. I, I mean, it's November 1st. You know, Pastor Appreciation Month is over. Right. And so, Back to business, you right, know? right. But right. Uh, but no. Also, Scott, we don't want to let people forget what this Friday is. It's R- remember, remember the fifth of November. Mm. It's Bonfire Night, Guy Fox Day. Bonfire Night. Yeah, Bonfire Night, Guy Fox Day. Look it up online. Um, yeah, just just do that. So don't forget that either. Okay. What sport did he play? <clears throat> Well, um, it, it was a blast, whatever he was trying to do. <laughs> just uh, look that up. Guy Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S, if you're ever interested. Just a little trivia. Just uh, yeah, don't forget the 5th of November. Okay, we better shut this off yeah, while let's we go have a chance. Yeah, Thanks for okay. listening, guys. We'll see you later. Bye.